Well, good morning, church. Good morning, and welcome back to our series. We've been in this great series on heaven, and I've just loved this series called Life After Life, The Truth About Heaven. And you know, we've said every civilization that's ever existed has had some thoughts of the afterlife, about what is to come, and whether it's the Egyptians or the Vikings, the Romans, or the Greeks, but every one of us, right, every person who is alive knows that there is something more Right, that this world is not all that there is. There's more to come. And so we've been talking about that. What is heaven going to be like? And God's word has a lot to say about heaven. And so here's what we've talked about. Number one, we said that heaven's a place, right? When we die, we're not disembodied spirits kind of floating out there in some nebulous spot. We immediately go to be in the presence of God. And that heaven is the place that God dwells, which means that heaven is everything that God is. And God is love, and God is light. God is life, God is joy, God is peace. So that's pretty awesome, right? Because that's what heaven is going to be like, to be there with God. We've said that heaven is only accessible through the door of Jesus Christ. That God made a way for us to experience eternity with Him. We've said that what we do here on this earth impacts eternity. In the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we have on this earth, that impacts where We live and what we do in all of eternity. And so to live this life for the glory of God, this life matters. It's not that we just kind of fast forward through life and want to get to heaven. This life matters as we fall more in love with God. We said that there's three things that are eternal. God, God's Word, and people. And as we invest in those things, right, those are the things that are going to outlast just this life that we live. Those are going to go on and on and on. We've also said this, that we will be with the Lord forever. And how awesome to think about that. That God is sovereign over all that there is. That He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and we will be with Him forever. And my prayer throughout this series has been that you and I would know that our eternity is secure. And that we would live with the joy and the confidence of knowing that God is with us and God is for us. My prayer has been too that in this study that it will allow us time to think about where we are spiritually. You know, we'll spend time planning a vacation. We'll spend time planning our retirement. We'll look at the stock market and wonder if I have enough money to retire. But, but eternity goes on a lot longer than a vacation or retirement. Right? Well, eternity is forever. And that we are investing in the things that matter and the things that are going to last. Uh, my prayer has been also that we don't just hold on to the things of this world tightly, but we hold on to God tightly. And we hold on to the world loosely. And we say, God, you are in control. And I want my life to be lived for you and for your name and for your glory. And so this thought of heaven should well up inside of us a joy. You know, that God's got this, right? And whatever I face here, God's got that. And he's going to hold that for me. And I can live with confidence here. So today we're going to look at the last two chapters of the Bible and talk what it means about living life in heaven and what it means to reorder our lives around his plans and his purposes. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you to open back with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Revelation 21 22. So these are the last two chapters of God's Word. And uh, it is so powerful what we see here. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we got some free Bibles for you. They're in the back. You can grab one, put your name in it. It's yours. Keep it. Take it with you. Also, if you have a mobile device, you can access the Scripture online and uh, make some notes there. We've got notes in the worship guide, and we'll put the Scripture on the screen as well. Now, what we've said so far through the book of Revelation is Revelation literally means revelation from Latin. It means to pull back the curtain. 
And God said to the apostle John, hey, John, take a sneak peek. Look at the last days, how it's all going to end, and look at what heaven's going to be like. So God gives John this, this peek into heaven. And, and John sees that there's going to be tribulation the last days on this earth. There'll be tribulation. And then Christ is going to come back and say enough pain, enough suffering. And then you're going to have the, the wedding feast of the Lamb as Jesus comes for his church. And, and being a part of a local church. And then you have all of eternity to celebrate. And that's what we're going to see here in Revelation 21. Pick up in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and I will live with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you just read that, you're just like, yes. So one, you see, if you're taking notes, there's a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. See, God specializes in redemption, right? God specializes in redemption. When God created us, he created us for a relationship with him. And then we sinned and we blew it. But God redeemed us through Christ. God bought us back. That's what redemption is. But God is also redeeming this earth. So remember Genesis 1 and 2. These kind of like bookends. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. So Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And God said, it is good. And God puts this beautiful garden there. He's got, you know, rivers and mountains and waterfalls. It, it is good. It is good. It is good. He creates man and says it is very good. And, and so you see this beauty right there in the garden. But then what happens? Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve said, we don't want to do it your way anymore, God. And they sin. And when sin enters in, all of a sudden there's death. There's decay. There's brokenness. There's pain. And we've been dealing with that. All of us have sinned. We know that, right? And so we see that in our own lives. But also in creation. The Bible talks about it in Romans. It says that all creation groans. Because we know that creation wasn't meant for natural disasters and for the brokenness and the hurt and the decay and the pain. And so creation one day will be redeemed and be restored. So there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And I love that. I love that. And notice it says this. The old order of things will pass away. The old order of things will pass away. So that means Satan is, is sin is banished and Satan is defeated. So now you take sin and you take Satan out of the equation. So we're back to Genesis 1 and 2. When God made it right and true and it was all good. And now we're in Revelation 21 and 22. And Satan is out of the picture. And sin is out of the picture. And the old order of things is gone. And that's why he says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome. I mean, think about the things that just break your heart. Think about the last time you cried, you were hurt, you were broken. And to think about the God of all creation taking his hand and just wiping away the tears. And saying the old order of things is gone. 
welcome in. There'll be no more death, no mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Wow. And it says God's dwelling will be with men. God's dwelling will be with man. In verse 5, God says this, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's like, John, make sure my people know this. Make sure that they know, even in this world that's broken, in the hurt and the pain that they face, make sure that they know I'm making everything new. And in my timing, it will come to fruition. Tell them to hold on. Tell them to hang in there. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. I love that picture. To him who overcomes, that our call is to be faithful. Our call is just to hold on to God. In the midst of this broken world, hold on to God. Be faithful to him. And God is our father and we are son or daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords. And God has an inheritance for us that's gonna be incredible. And so now we see a new heaven, a new earth, but then we see a new Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has always been important to God. It's that holy city. You go back in the Old Testament, Jesus, right, was dedicated there at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus did much of his ministry there in Jerusalem. But now we have a new Jerusalem. It says in verse 10 of Revelation 21, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper as clear as crystal. Let's skip to verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. And he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. Now look at verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. So one, we see this city that is now here on the new earth. And it's the new Jerusalem. And one, it's beautiful, right? You may have grown up hearing about the streets of gold or the pearly gates. That's where it comes from, right there, right? I mean, the most precious things of this earth. And that's the city. That's what it's made out of. But also notice it's 12,000 stadia. That's long and wide, but also high. And it represents perfection, that 12,000 there. Now, I did a little math, okay? So 12,000 stadia in today's kind of measurements would be about 2,250,000 square miles. All right, so let me put that in perspective. So this new city in New Jerusalem comes down, and that's kind of like from the West Coast, California, to around the Mississippi River, all right? And then from the border of Mexico all the way north to the border of Canada. So imagine a city that size, right? Coming down and being here. That's a pretty cool thought, right? But not only is it wide and long, it is also height. It's tall. And you can see that there's enough room for everybody. But it represents where God dwells. Keep going. Look at chapter 22, or I mean the rest of chapter 21. It says, I did not see a temple in the city, 
because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here you have the the new city, the new Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about this. God dwelling with his people. If you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, when Adam and Eve were created, and they were in right relationship with God, and God walked with them in the cool of the day, and it was like perfect, right? They're in right relationship with God. They're in right relationship with one another. Adam and Eve, remember it said they were naked, and they felt no shame. I mean, they were just like fully alive. But then when sin comes in, now you have a holy God, and you have sinful man. And you have this separation. Right? Because in God there is no sin. But God wants to be with his people. So God says to his people, listen, I want you to build a tabernacle for me. And they're like, what's a tabernacle? And he goes, well, I'll tell you and I'll show you. I'll give you the measurements. But it's going to be a mobile worship center. So wherever you go, you can come and worship me. But there's going to be this holy place where I'm going to dwell. And the whole Ark of the Covenant. In fact, we're starting a new series next week. We'll talk more about it. It's going to be powerful. But the same layout that they had when they built the tabernacle was what they built the temple with in the city of Jerusalem. And if you were to go and worship God in Jerusalem, and you were a Gentile, you couldn't get in there. It was like the outer courts. You could be like kind of outside looking in. If you were a Jewish woman... You could get a little bit closer to kind of where God dwelled in the middle part. If you were a Jewish man, you get like a little bit closer, right? If you are a priest, you could get really close. But it was only one day a year called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, which the Jews just celebrated this weekend, right? The 29th and 30th right there. It, they just celebrated that, that one day a year, the high priest would go into what was called the Holy of Holies, And it was a perfect cube in the dimensions. And there's a giant veil that separated the Holy of Holies from man. Sinful man, holy God inside. And the high priest would go in to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. So this lamb is offered for the sins of the people. But when he would go in, they would tie a rope around his ankle and put a bell on it. Because if he does something wrong and he sins in the presence of God and he dies then they've got to pull him out because nobody else can go in, right? So that's where God dwelled. That Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. And now what we see is the new Jerusalem is mapped after the Holy of Holies. But now God comes. And remember when Jesus died, what happened? The temple veil was torn in two. From top to bottom, God was making a way for us to be in relationship with him because our sins would be forgiven. And when God looks at you and God looks at me, when you are in Christ, he doesn't see all your past mistakes. He doesn't see all your failings. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. And when we're in heaven one day, the entire new Jerusalem is the holy of holies. And he's saying, come on in. And it says all the nations will come in. Everybody will be there. It will be an incredible celebration of being in right relationship with God. Wow.
I mean, that's incredible. So, new heaven, new earth, right? Then you've got this new Jerusalem down, and nations are coming in, and everybody's coming to be in the presence of God, fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully accepted. And then you see a new you. A new you. Look at chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp of the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Oh, yes. See, this perishable body will be clothed imperishable, and that we will have new bodies, that we will be there with God forever. I mean, that is just amazing how God created us for Him and for a relationship with Him. I love as you read this, it's like God meets every need. Right? In heaven, you got this river that flows from the throne of God. So never get thirsty because God's there to meet that need. You have the tree of life. The last time we saw the tree of life was Genesis 1 and 2. Now you have the tree of life that's bearing its crops, that's bearing a harvest. You won't get hungry. There's food to eat. And then it says this, and his servants will serve him. Now I love that because sometimes people go, well, aren't I going to get bored in heaven? No, 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 you won't get bored in heaven. It says his servants will serve him. Now go back to Genesis 1 and 2. When God created and said it is good, and he created Adam and Eve, and he gave them jobs to do, right? They were to take care of the garden. They were to take care of the animals, and they enjoyed it. You see, work didn't become toilsome till after sin entered in, Genesis 3, then work became hard. There wasn't pain in childbearing until after sin entered in. When man said, hey, we don't want to do it your way, God. And so now God's making it all new and all right and redeeming it. And you and I then will serve the Lord. But you and I will reach our full potential. We'll be able to do things in heaven. I love that. There's some of you, 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 just, you just have this love inside of you. You know, you love to cook, or you love to farm, or you love to paint, or you love to build things, but you don't ever get the time to do it. It's not your job because you have a job, and you make money at your job, and that's good, and you provide for your family, that's important. But, but you have all these things that you're wired to do. And can you imagine you're going to be able to do those things? You, can you imagine having the time to be able to invest in the things that you're so passionate about? I often think, I'm like, I wonder if there's like a sport out there that I'd be really good at, but you know, I, I don't know because I never played it, you know, but I mean, it might have been really good or there's something I really wanted to do, but I'd never have time to do it. And ever you're going to have the time to do it. And, and you're going to have the passion, the way God wired you. If you go to Exodus 31, you could do this later on, but, but the first time it says that the Spirit of God comes onto a man, it, it's not just a prophet or a preacher. It's the people who are building the tabernacle. It's the skilled craftsman. 
That's powerful because you see, God wired us all differently, but God wants us to reach our full potential. Scientists say we only use 10% of our brain. I believe in heaven we're going to have full capacity, 100%. And we'll be able to do the things we always want to do. And we'll be able to travel and go see the things that God has created and things that are good and things that are awesome. And we are going to be fully alive. Now, I want you to see this. Um, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. And if you want to do some deeper study, hey, go read this book. That's 500 pages, but it's really awesome. But he puts this chart in there, and I think this is so important just to see. But you have uh, your life. I'm going to take that off right there. I'm going to do this. Your life. Okay? So we get 70, 80, 90, 100 years with our life here on this earth. Then we have the present heaven. So when we die right here, we immediately go to heaven if you're in Christ. There's not like, hey, I'm going to stick around in purgatory for a while and get everything figured out. It's instantly we, do, we go to heaven and we're with the Lord. Then, right, at some point, Christ is going to return. Now, we may all still be alive or we may already be in the present heaven. But at some point, Jesus is going to return. And he's going to say enough pain, enough suffering, and sin is banished, Satan is defeated, and there is a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? So now if you think about this, in the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we have on this earth, your life or my life kind of looks like this. We learn, we grow, we go to school, we go to work, we learn a lot of things. And then at some point we start to get older and our life because of death, because of decay, starts to go down until we die. At that point though, right, we immediately go to heaven. Now in the present heaven, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like such an upgrade from here, right? And we're going to go here and we're going to learn and we're going to mature and it's going to be good. I think this is right here. I think this is like a surprise party. Okay, I, I do. I think we're going to die and we're going to wake up and there's going to be all these people going, yeah, welcome home, welcome. You know, we're like, yeah, it's just going to be awesome right here. Uh, I read about a guy, H.S. Laird, and his dad, who was a strong believer, uh, was getting ready to die and, and his son's holding his dad and he's right there with him and he said, dad, how do you feel? And his dad said, I feel like a little boy on Christmas Eve. I just, I just can't wait. I mean, it's like I I'm going to be with the Lord. But at some point, right, we're all going to go here. We'll spend here. But then when Christ returns, new heaven, new earth, and then we have eternity, and it's going to be like this. You will learn. You'll grow. You'll progress. You'll become. And all the ways that God made you to just flourish. And it'll be more than you could ever dream or ever even expect. Your best days are still ahead. And God's saying, hold on to me. That's right. It's all about Christ. So pick up here at verse 12 of Revelation 22. Jesus is this, says this, right? Behold, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. See, it's all about Christ. Jesus is our goal. Heaven's not the goal. Heaven is the reward, okay? Jesus is our goal. 
the Bible tells us for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So every day that you and I are pressing in to know God more, to know Jesus, to live a life like Christ, heaven is the reward. He says, my reward is coming with me. Then you will be fully alive. It's not life after death. It's life after life. And you will reach that full potential, that God-given potential in you. And you will be with the Lord forever. Guys, death is simply a passageway. It's simply a passageway. It's like you and you have your best friend, your best friend's going on a trip and they're going to take a boat and they're going to go to some island somewhere. And so the two of you go down to the dock and the boat's there and your friend gets on the boat and you're like, hey, there you are. And they're on the boat. Now the boat's moving out and you're waving and they're waving to you. And all of a sudden they're going out further and further and the boat's like getting smaller and smaller until finally you're like, they're gone. They're gone. But, but are they really gone? Aren't there people on another place over there going, hey, welcome. Come on. And one day we'll be reunited. We'll be with those we love. Death is simply a passageway to the life that is to come. I want you to see this. This is a guy named Greg Murtha. And Greg uh, was born in Springfield, Tennessee. And he actually started his business career in the music industry here in Nashville. And he was a, a business guy, loved the Lord. But then he went to Dallas and was doing business. And he did really well, made a lot of money. But he's a strong Christian businessman, like, like many people, like here. And, and yet in 2012, he was diagnosed with cancer. And this guy who went from running marathons and doing all this stuff, and a husband and a father, his life began to change. 52 chemo treatments later, um, he went home to be with Jesus on June 22nd of this past year. But some friends shot this video of him just a few days before he went home to be with the Lord. And he was talking about his life. And he was talking about how he tried to live his life before, even as a Christian, but kind of not fully dependent on God. And then all of a sudden, God got a hold of him. And I want you to watch this. It was like, hey, Jesus, I want you to come with me. I want you to, to sit in the passenger seat. And when we need you, then we'll ask for your blessing. But we, we got this, you know. And, and what I discovered is that living that way, you can accomplish things and good things happen and life's change. But that's addition. It's one plus one equals two. And you can do that every single day. What I've discovered now is the strength is it's multiplication. And the multiplication comes from just, you know, you can't plan it, or at least I, I've not discovered how to plan it, but it's simply spending time with Jesus, listening to him, and doing what he says. And when I was living in the, the, the first uh, doing good things on my own strength, it, it, was, it was, you know, we, we, we had a desire to change the world, but I personally, me personally, spent uh, my entire, yeah, those 15 years with my foot on the brake, operating at about 70% of spiritual capacity. And, and I, I was afraid to take risks. I was afraid to uh, really say yes to opportunities that would have been life-giving. And, and as a result, I limited God and I limited the Holy Spirit. I, I'm discovering that if I write a blog post, I'm not responsible for getting it out to people to be motivated or moved by. God does that. And when I 
simply act in obedience and trust him for the results, it's unbelievable, the multiplication factor. The difference is uh, I'm getting so much more accomplished with so much less strength. That's just the way it works. I wrote a blog post on the Friday that I thought I was dying. And I'm, I'm literally, man, I, I'm like, I'm out think this is it. I mean, I, I just really do. And uh, so I write this post and just, you know, I mean, I just, and I said, I can't, I can't breathe. They, they talked about intubating me and, and I just said, look, I, I, I can't breathe, but what, what, what breath that I have will be used praying God, praising God and reaching out and serving people like angel and reaching out and making a difference while I'm here. That's what I'm going to do. And my son says, you know, dad, we're all praying for you and we're praying for your healing. But if God doesn't heal you, then the day you die, you're going to be standing face to face with Jesus. And he says, you know what? He says, mom and I won't be far behind. So what I've experienced is when you focus on the people, everything else takes care of itself. I tell people, I literally, I've never been more alive. It's amazing. I've been closer to death than I could ever imagine. And I, every day, it's, 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 I take a couple of naps and I'm tired. But I literally can honestly say I've never been more alive. And so what I've come to the realization is what God wants from us is for us to just stop and, and put, our heads in, put our heads in his lap. You know, he doesn't need me to rush off and build an organization. He doesn't need me to show him how I can do a really cool dive. He needs me to stop and put my head in his lap. And so, with the diagnoses and with the heart attack, he's just made it easier for me to do that, which is, again, which is where I found life. Again, that is truly life. Mm. It's all about Jesus. None of us know how many days we have on this earth, right? None of us know if this is 70, 80, 90, 100 years, or, or maybe it's tomorrow. But are we living our lives for Christ? And I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you this. Take an inventory of where you are spiritually. Look at where you are in your life and what you're living for. And maybe today is a day of salvation where you say, you know what, I've been living for myself and Jesus, I need you. I surrender. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Or, or maybe the day is today that you just say, hey, I look at my life and man, I've been living for the things of this world and not for the things of God, but, but today I want to put a stake in the ground and say, God, I'm all yours. Holy and completely, I'm yours. And I want to follow you and I want to trust you and I want to know you. I want to be yours. I, I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God is here. And God has brought us here to hear from him. And God wants us to know him and God wants us to fall in love with him. And there's still breath in our lungs for reason. God's not finished with any of us yet. But for however many days we have, oh, that we live it for him. You know, Mike Mentor, who is a pastor at Reston Bible Church in D.C., been pastor 40 years. But he, he talks about our life is like an hourglass. 
And, and you know, the, the future is up here and the sand is falling and then the present is kind of the neck of the hourglass and then the past. And some of us, we have a lot of sand up here in the future. Some of us, we have a lot of sand down here in the past. But we can't control the future, nor can we control the past. The only thing we can control is this, the present, the now. And how are we living now? What are we living for now? What's important to us now? Where are we investing the time and the energy and the resources God's given us now? C.S. Lewis said, aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim for earth, you get neither. And I think it's so true. Are we living for the things of this world? Are we living for the things of God? Are we holding on to him with everything we have? Heaven's gonna be awesome. Heaven's gonna be our eternal home. You know when you're gone from home for a long time and you you just wanna be back home? We were created, we know that. But for now, what's important to us? The Bible ends with this verse, very last verse of the Bible. And it says this in Revelation 22, 21, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The entire Bible is about grace, God's grace. We don't deserve heaven. Oh, none of us do. We've all sinned. We've blown it. But it's grace. We don't deserve salvation, but it's grace. And it's a gift from God, not by works, lest none of us should boast. It's all him. That's all him. So Jesus, on the night that he's betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he's like, guys, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. He goes, we're celebrating the Passover that a lamb was killed for, for your sins, but I am the lamb. And I'm gonna die for your past sins, your present sins, and even your future sins so that you can have a relationship with God. And he took the bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you personal. Not just the world, but, but for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, God, the old order of things has passed away. <laughs> this is the new covenant. It's grace. And it's my blood poured out for you. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we have the privilege to come to his table. And this is not my invitation or the invitation of Rolling Hills. This is the invitation of God himself. If you're a follower of Christ, you're invited to come. There's a gluten-free table over here, but you're invited to take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive, to receive what only God can give. Grace, mercy, love, joy, hope, Jesus. Oh, just give me Jesus. There's two tables in the back. There's two tables on the side. I'm going to invite some of our A6 men and their spouse. They're going to move to the tables. and They're going to be there to serve you. They'll have the bread and the cup. But when you come to the table this morning, I want to, I want to invite you to come and, and say, God, what about me? In the now, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? And maybe today is a day to say, I've committed my life to Christ. Or maybe today is a day to say, I'm just living it all for him. Maybe it's a day to say, I want to be baptized or I want to join the church. But, but God, I want to live it all for your name and your glory. God, I'm yours.
So let me pray for us and then you're invited to come to his table. Father, thank you. Thank you for grace. That your word is all about grace. That when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, you made us alive in Christ. And not only did you give us salvation, but God, you prepared a place for us that's more than we could dream or imagine. Kept in heaven for us. Where we'll be fully alive. So Father, we come to your table this morning to remember. We come to your table this morning to say thanks. We come to the table this morning to commit our lives in the now and the present to be lived for you. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. And we thank you for Jesus. Amen and amen.